Welcome to the Maritime Podcast for this latest episode of Maritime in Minutes. You're listening to Marcus Han, editor of Sea Trade Maritime News, and Gary Howard, Europe editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. And we'll be discussing some of the most topical stories from the month of May in the world of maritime and shipping that appeared on Sea Trade Maritime News. Well, it's hard to believe we're already at the end of May, and there is certainly no shortage of things to discuss, both in ongoing stories and new developments in the last month. To kick us off, Gary, you have an ongoing saga that we've featured in the two previous months, I believe. Absolutely. The cartoon villain of the maritime industry remains in the news, and there's a smattering of stories from across May. As we all know by now, P&O Ferries fired 800 of its seafarers without warning back in March, and it's fair to say the company's plans to return its 10 vessels to service within 10 days has not played out to plan. The Pride of Kent finally passed its port state control inspection this month, and that was on the fourth attempt. The report from this has since been released and showed 47 deficiencies, including 13 grounds for detention, many of which were in the sort of exact areas you'd expect for a vessel that has just had a hasty change of crew. Pride of Canterbury passed its port state control inspection yesterday at the time of recording, and that leaves just one more ship left to pass the Maritime and Coast Guard Agency's inspection. But another story in the saga from this month shows that even once the fleet is back in service, the impact of this story will be felt. The UK government is moving to expand the coverage of minimum wage rules for seafarers, and it's working with some European neighbours on that project as well. Marcus, what have you got for week one? Well, something quite different. Uh, just to pick up on that, very positive to actually see something coming out of this in terms of action. My pick goes over to Singapore. It's a story that was of deep concern to many owners and managers, where around 200 ships in Singapore refueled with contaminated bunkers during the month of March. The chlorinated organic compounds contamination is a type that does not show up in standard bunker tests, nor is it part of ISO standards. Around 80 ships reported serious issues and an investigation by the Singapore authorities, which was released in May, underscored the complexity of the fuel supply chain and the challenges particularly associated with blended fuels. The contamination was traced to a cargo of heavy fuel oil purchased by Glencore in Singapore from the UAE that had then been blended in Malaysia. It was then sold on by Glencore PetroChina, who bought part of that cargo from Glencore. In some good news, there have been no further reports of contamination after the 31st of March. Gary, moving on to week two. Yep, and another repeat story for me this week. I think one of the last things we said in the last Maritime in Minutes was that there were around a 1,000 seafarers still stranded in Ukraine. So it was great to hear on the 3rd of May, right at the beginning of this month, the number is now down to 500 seafarers and hopefully has since continued to fall. The story that I particularly wanted to pull out is data showing a 35% drop in April agribulk exports in the Black Sea. The impact of the war in Ukraine will continue to be felt as the conflict draws on and Agrabol will be heavily impacted. Ukraine and Russia both are significant exporters of wheat, corn and other grains. And beyond this specific story, we've seen reports of port access and safe passage for ships sort of become a negotiating point between Russia and Ukraine. So very much one to keep an eye on. I think your pick is from the other side of the planet for week two, Marcus. 
Yes, indeed. I'm back to Singapore again. And when it comes to week two, it was a couple of little stories related to emissions reduction and terminal operator PSA that caught my eye. With all the focus on reaching carbon neutral shipping, there is a tendency to look at the big ticket concepts such as, say, ammonia as a fuel. But there are actually many incremental steps that can be taken today across the supply chain. In two such examples, PSA has completed trials with Ocean Network Express of the recycling of refrigerant gas for reefer containers. PSA recovers the gas from the containers and the gas is then cleaned, processed and certified before it is reused and pumped back into the reefers. This saves some 4,000 kilograms of carbon emissions per reefer. Meanwhile, PSA has also teamed up with another line, CMACGM, on a digital on-time arrival tool, which aims to give annual bunker savings of 4-7% for the French company's vessels calling at PSA's Singapore terminals, by ensuring simply that when they arrive, they arrive on time to a berth rather than steaming too quickly to get there and having to wait so less fuel is used overall. With those interesting developments, let's move to week three. If you're enjoying listening, make sure you never miss an episode of the Maritime Podcast by subscribing on the app of your choice. Now, Gary, I believe you are continuing on the topic of emissions and the environment, but with a more regulatory type of level. What do you have for our listeners? Yeah, it's a small but I think significant regulatory update as the European Parliament voted to extend the scope of its emissions trading scheme to include shipping. Now, there's still a way for this to go before it becomes law, the various levels of EU bureaucracy and back and forth to be worked through, but it shows there is a clear intention and support for more action on emissions at the EU. The key points are that the ETS will cover 100% of shipping routes within the EU by 2024, which isn't that far away, 50% of extra EU routes from 2024, rising to 100% from 2027 onwards, so that's a pretty quick ramp up. 75% of the funds raised from this would be put into an ocean fund to support the decarbonisation of Europe's maritime sector. Now, I've just recorded a podcast, including an update on the EU ETS and the current state of regulations at the IMO uh, and the way things are heading there. So keep an eye out for that in the coming weeks. Marcus, you've got money on your mind for week three. Indeed, I have. And these companies, at least their current earnings, shouldn't have too many problems paying that ETS. As we move through May, it was kind of hard to ignore the eye-watering profit statements that we were seeing from container lines. The Macau and Container Results Observer calculated these for the sector as a whole and reckoned it made $59.3 billion in profit in the first quarter of 2022. That is amazingly three times and already saw very high profits for the same quarter in 2021. And this is kind of now set to continue for a while. McCowan said that increased revenues have a long tail as most containers are moving under medium to long-term contracts. So even if spot rates ease, Earnings will take longer to fall as a lot of the cargo is locked in on longer-term contracts. So maybe, listeners, you should start taking bets on what the Q2 level of profit for container lines will be. It's sure to be hefty, though. It's time to move into week four, and we take a look at the world's largest ship-earning nation, Greece. And Gary, I believe you have some pretty big numbers to report as well. 
Yeah, as we get ready for Posidonia this month slash next month, spoilers for June's Maritime in Minutes, I expect will have a distinctly Greek flavour. Our correspondent in Greece, David Glass, reported on 76 Greek-controlled fleets, each breaking the million deadweight tonne mark, which equals a record set in 2020. Definitely checking out this article, as David points out some interesting characteristics of these fleets and their makeup and the, the overall fleet. Uh, which leads into another related story, again from David Glass, and my last one for today's podcast. Greek-controlled shipping tonnage hit an all-time high in gross and deadweight tonnage terms and was just eight ships short of 2018's record number of vessels. We'll forgive them falling short there as the general trend is for increasing ship sizes. Marcus, what's your capstone for this month's Maritime in Minutes? Just talking about having more ships and the growth of the Greek fleet. Well, more ships means more demand for seafarers. And this is coming at a time when supply has been impacted by the war in Ukraine and the availability of Ukrainian seafarers, companies shying away from Russian crew, and ongoing COVID lockdowns in China, which has limited the availability of Chinese seafarers. With all that, then, it should come as little surprise that Henrik Jensen, CEO of Danica Crewing, reports that there have been increases in remuneration across all ranks of vessel types, with some very steep increases in some cases. More alarmingly, Janssen says it's driven a potential for seafarers to take their CVs and qualifications to get higher paid jobs, of which there is a shortage. You can hear more from Henrik Janssen at the Global Maritime Club Summit on 9th of June during Posidonia 2022. Want to find out more? Visit globalmaritimeclub.com. And we're coming to the end of our May Roundup. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Maritime Minutes. Make sure you stay on top of the news by signing up for our newsletter at ctrade-maritime.com. That's all we have time for. And myself and Gary look forward to talking to you again at the beginning of July. <music> <laughs>